in Genesis, the 19th chapter. This is our Wednesday night Bible study when we take a book of the Bible and go through it verse, one verse at a time and talk about it in detail and put it all in context and so we can understand what is going on. Now, uh, we're in uh, Genesis chapter 19. Now, what we just read about was the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, to kind of recap to you what had happened, Sodom and Gomorrah had become a place that had become so incredibly wicked. Now, the thing that really seemed to mark the town was this propensity uh, for homosexuality. Um, my argument is I don't believe God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah just because of that. If that's the case, then he's going to have to kill a whole bunch of other cities. <laughs> Because uh, we got that problem all over the place. But uh, uh, it was that the, it was so wicked there was no one righteous. There was nobody. And uh, you remember the story of Abraham said, you know, well, you wouldn't kill it if there's, you know, 100 nice, you know, righteous people. He says, no. Nah. And he says, well, what about 50? He says, no. Nah. What about 40? No. Nah. He kept going down the list. It was pretty funny. Finally got down to 10 and then he felt good. Well, there wasn't even 10 righteous people. That's why God brought this judgment upon this place. And these two angels show up. Uh, they come into the city, and they, they're staying at Lot's house. Lot and his family were the only ones that were righteous at this point. And uh, uh, the Bible says that the, uh, all the men in the city, from the young and the old, I mean, they all went nuts because these two angels came in, apparently quite these hunky-looking dudes. I guess if you're an angel, you're kind of cool-looking. And, uh, and these, they, they all wanted to have sex with them. So they all gather outside Lot's house and start screaming, send those two guys out so we can have sex with these good-looking guys. And, and, uh, and Lot's freaking out. You know, these guys, they're angels. You can't do this. And, and, and then there's a really despicable thing that, that uh, Lot said, actually, verse 8, if we want to pop that up, 19.8. Uh, he says, look, I have two daughters who've never slept with a man. Uh, let me bring them out to you, and you can do whatever you want with them. And if I was out in the two daughters, I'm going, what? You know, what? what is this? I mean, this makes a lot of slime bag, in my opinion, for even offering this kind of thing. But what's amazing here is that the men said, no, we don't want them. We don't want those women. We want, we want these guys. All right? Now, I want you to think about something uh, in, in this story. Is Look over at Romans. Just real quick, flop over over to Romans. Romans, the first chapter. I want you to see. I want you, I want you to hear how Paul the apostle wrote about the sin of homosexuality and why why it, it, it's uh, it just kind of off whack. Is uh, he says in chapter one, verse twenty six, because of this, because of what? If you read the context here, he's talking about how people were more interested in things than God and, and how their values and all were messed up. And finally, God said, you know, you know, just let them do whatever. And he says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. He just, you know, just let them go nuts. And it says, even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In other words, women gave up men for other women. And in verse 27, in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. And, uh, you know, so they quit being interested in women and we're more interested in guys now i have an opinion about this that (laughs) is a little radical but uh my personal opinion is this you do not have to be gay to do what these people do 
You don't have to be gay to do what it says here, abandoning natural relations with women. Because I'm telling you, what is happening in America today, this is happening at breakneck speed to men who are up to their eyeballs in porn, on the internet looking at all this nonsense, and they are literally abandoning women for this little fantasy world. It's the same end result. The devil sits and laughs his butt off, trying to humiliate mankind. God hates men. I mean, uh, Satan hates men because we're made in the image of God. We look like God. Every time God looks at you, it remind, or every time Satan looks at you, it reminds him of God and it ticks him off. And he hates mankind, hates men in particular, and is doing anything he can to make fools of them. And in this time, here, he got men to give up on women and started going crazy over them uh, for, for other men. But I'm telling you, he's doing the same thing today and you don't have to be gay to do this. We got men today who are literally abandoning and neglecting their own wives, preferring instead to look at porn and masturbate. Now, if you've ever heard me talk on this subject, you know I'm pretty intense about it, but this just makes me crazy. Of all the ridiculous, insane, stupid things that men do to ignore the real women in their lives because they have so gotten attached and addicted to a fantasy world. In my seminars, as I travel around the country, we just started again last week, we were in North Carolina, this next weekend we'll be uh, doing a big seminar for the military out of Fort Bragg and, and, and you know, after the races we go for this fall and stuff. I am stunned at how often women come up to me, sometimes with their husbands standing right next to them, telling me he doesn't want to have sex with me. He would rather look at porn and masturbate. And I think to myself, dear God in heaven, how can we be so stupid and still breathe? I mean, this is just insane to me. I think, how did we ever get here? And the radical concept, I was talking to my staff about this today, and they were just freaking out. They were just panicking because, you can't say that! You can't say that! You can't say that! They'll misunderstand you. So listen to me so you don't misunderstand me. When you're looking at porn and other kind of stuff like that, you're not being gay, but you're doing a gay-like thing. Are you hearing me? In that, you are abandoning real women. And I can't tell you what I was going to say. Because <laughs> my staff said I can't say it. So let me tell you what I cannot say, because they told me... <laughs> So I can't say this. So I'm not saying it. I'm just going to tell you what I was going to say. In my opinion, which is highly intense on this subject, looking at porn and using that to replace women, in my opinion, because it's doing essentially what these guys did, to me, it's gay light. Kind of like Bud Light. I can't say that, but that's what I was going to say. It's, it's kind of you know, like Bud Light. It's, it's not Bud, but it's like Bud. You know, it doesn't taste quite like Bud. 
and it has half the calories of Bud. So when you're looking at porn, you're not actually gay, but it's kind of like gay light to me. But I, I would never say that publicly because I, my staff says, you, you cannot say that kind of stuff because people will be mortified and, and, and people will just, just have a cow. So that's what I was going to say, but I'm not going to say that. Having not said that, I'm telling you, this is part of Satan's plan, just like it started back here and has gone throughout history and it continues today. Satan is trying to get men not to be interested in real women at all. And to me, it is insane what is happening in our culture. Instead of valuing real women, instead of respecting real women, instead of cherishing real women, instead of going out of our way to be kind and to be lovers to real flesh and blood women, men are taking the coward's easy way out, looking at pictures and making love to themselves. As far as I'm concerned, that's exactly the kind of thing that was going on here. But I didn't say any of that. All right. (laughs) Pick it up at verse 27 where we left off. God had had it with the city and he just toasted it. Wiped the whole thing out. Fire rained down. Fire and brimstone rained down. Just destroyed the whole bunch of them. And he told Lot, Lot, the angel said, you better get out of here, you and your two daughters and your wife. And and then he went to the the, the, uh, guys that the the girls were engaged to, you know, but the fiancés, but... They didn't want to go. So, oh, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. So the four of them took off. The angel told everybody, don't look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. But Lot's wife went ahead and looked back anyway. In, the Bible says instantly she turned into a pillar of salt. And now all we have left is Lot and his two daughters. And the place just toasted up. It says in verse 27, early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah toward all the land of the planet and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace so when God destroyed the cities of the plain he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe in other words he did this because he was related to Abraham he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived alright now this next section very bizarre and strange but we will go through it anyway Lot and his two daughters left Zoar. That's where they were hanging out. But then they went up into the mountains because he was afraid to stay in Zoar. Why? I mean, you know, God just destroyed everything. That would kind of have a tendency to freak you out. He thought, man, I'm just not living by anybody. So they went out and he and his two daughters lived in a cave. Now one day the older daughter said to the younger one, look, our father's old and there is no man around here To lie with us. In other words, have sex with us. As is the custom all over the earth. Unless you're looking at porn. And apparently that's not the custom. But anyway. He says, let's get our father to drink wine. And lie with him. And preserve our family line through our father. Now this is really gross. Okay. But this is what happened. Well that night, they got their father to drink wine. 
And the older daughter went in and lay with him. But he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. Apparently, he was so drunk, he had no idea what happened. Now I find this highly curious. I'm not trying to get gross here, but if you're that drunk, how do you have sex? I don't know when you're that drunk. Well, the next day, the older daughter said to the younger, look, last night I lay with with father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight (laughs) you'd think he already would have a serious headache in the first place all right Uh, let's get him really toasted tonight again and then you can go and lie with him so we can preserve our family line through our father so they got their father to drink wine that night also and the younger daughter went and lay with him again he was not aware of it I don't understand. And, and, and when she lied down and when she got up. So now both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father, which is very, very gross and disgusting. Um, obviously, uh, they had no guys because they were living in a cave and the, the um, fiancés wouldn't come and they had gotten fried, toasted alive in, in, uh, in, in Sodom. So they were desperate and and they wanted children. So the older daughter had a son and named him Moab. Now this is why they even tell the story. Because Moabites were a serious pain in the rear for the Israelites later in history as we see. And what they're doing is showing you where the Moabites came from. It came from this act. Okay. He's the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son and he's the name of, uh, named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. Again, the Moabites and the Ammonites, uh, very troublesome uh, races, uh, very corrupt, very wicked. Uh, Certainly, they started out that way from the very, very beginning. This is where those two uh, terrible nations came from, from that deal. That's why we read about it. Okay, now, carrying on. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. Uh, For a while he stayed in Gerar and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Remember we had this happen before. Sarah apparently is a super babe and at 60 years of age the king in Egypt saw her and went holy cow check out the super babe and Abraham was afraid he said, man, just say you're my sister because they'll try and kill me to get you. That's how good looking this woman was. So anyway, we know what happened there and God brought judgment on Egypt and then they found out, what do you, what do you set her up with your sister for? She's not your sister, she's your wife and why are you trying to get me in trouble with God? And da, 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 da. So anyway, now this happens again. What's amazing about it is now the woman is 90 years old and she's still a super babe. So he says, when we come around the king, man, just tell people you're my sister. I I really hope we got like instant replay in heaven and stuff. Because I want to see this lady. You know what I'm talking about? So anyway, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent for Sarah. Said, hey, send the super babe over. 90 years old. And he took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, 
you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She's a married woman. Well, now Abimelech had not gone near her yet. So he said to the Lord, don't you want to destroy an innocent nation, will you? Didn't he say to me, she's my sister? I did. Didn't she also say, he's my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And we'll see here that really what had happened at this point is God's judgment was falling on the family and uh, people, women were able to get pregnant and, and, you know, which was a big deal back then. And, um, you know, and uh, so anyway, he's crying out to God, look, I I didn't know God's telling him I'm going to kill you for this, by the way, (laughs) you're as good as a dead man. When God tells you you're as good as a dead man, I would pay attention. All right. So anyway, then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. So I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all of yours will die. Well, early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you? That you brought such a great guilt upon me and my kingdom. You have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is your reason for doing this? And Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. And and they'll kill me because of my wife. Because she is a super babe. Besides, he says... I didn't really lie completely. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, right. Give me a break. Because she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, you know, step brother, whatever, you know. And anyway, that's how he married her. You say, why would they do that? Such close family ties. It was very common for them to marry cousins and stuff at this time, but even in some, some situations, step you know, uh, nieces and that kind of stuff. Uh, again, we're talking a very small population at this time on the earth. Not a whole lot of options, better options than Lot and the gang over there. But uh, anyway, so uh, so when and when God had me wander from my father's household, I, I said to her, this is how you can show your love for me. <laughs> this is how you can show your love for me. Everywhere I go, say, he's just my brother. Now, what, again, what's amazing about this is Abraham is the father of what? Faith. Okay? God is treating him with great respect and giving him all those promises. And again, as I've said before and will mention again tonight, God treated him with great respect before he ever earned it. Let me underline it again for all of you ladies in here. The key to unlocking the potential in a man is to treat him with great respect before he earns it. I say that because women are very quick to say, well, I'll respect him when he earns it. If he starts acting right. If he does, da, la, 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 then I'll treat him with respect. No, 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 no. Respect before he earns it. Why? Because that's what unlocks the potential in a man. And that's how God has always dealt with men. And here is the father of faith who's walking around. He's still scared that someone's going to kill him for the super babe. Okay? But yet God is promising this, calling him all these great things, changing his name to Abraham, father of a multitude. And by treating him with great respect, it puts Abraham eventually in a place where he can start experiencing God's blessings. And he goes on to become an incredible man of faith, which we will see as we go along here. Okay, but anyway, so the point being is this is not a man without problems. He's got his fears and insecurities. 
Well, then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle, male and female slaves, gave them to Abraham. He's basically trying here to take a bunch of money is what he's doing. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. And to Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before, because, before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his slave girl so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Now, before the year is up, we finally see the promise come to pass in Abraham's life. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Now, check it out. She's 90 now. He'd been getting this promise for a long time. So a lot of times we get, we're so impatient. And, and granted, this is an extreme circumstance. I'd have definitely given up in this situation for sure. But, uh, but look at the example here. People, they kept trusting God, kept trusting God, even when it seemed absolutely impossible. We often talk about how we want God to do miracles in our lives. Whenever I say, how many of you would like a miracle? Everybody raises their hands. We all want miracles. But what we forget is that you need to have a need for a miracle before you get a miracle. Nobody wants to need a miracle (laughs) because that really stinks, right? Nobody wants to be in a situation where they're suffering or they're struggling and it seems like God's a million miles away and you're up against impossible odds. But that's where you experience miracles. Sadly, this is where you really separate faith and fear because when people get into a situation where it seems like it's completely hopeless they will step to one side or the other most step to the wrong side they give up they become frustrated they throw their hands in the air I prayed I tried God let me down I don't know what happened da, da, da. and then you've got those that even still when everything looks completely impossible they keep trusting God these are the people who experience miracles Remember, it is faith that moves God, not tears. If tears would move God, everybody would get miracles. We all cry, we all freak out. If panicking would move God, man, there would be miracles every which way. God's compassionate toward the crying. God's compassionate toward the freaking out. He'll comfort you, he'll do all this stuff. But that's not going to get you your miracle. Standing in faith, trusting God, even when it seems completely hopeless. That's when God moves. 90 years old, and then all of a sudden, Sarah, it says in verse 2, became pregnant. All of her life, thought God had abandoned her. Heard the promises of God, said, well, you know, maybe, tells tells Abraham, maybe it's not me, maybe you should take my maidservant and and, and have a baby with her. And then she got mad about that, you know, she was just one frustrated lady. And finally, in the midst of everything seeming impossible, she becomes pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Wow. Well, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. She's one happy girl, to say the least. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Weeping may endure for a night, the Bible says, but joy 
comes in the morning. Hallelujah. She's not crying anymore. She's laughing and everyone's going to celebrate with her. Well, the child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. She did not like this woman. Keep in mind, it was all her idea in the first place. Anyway, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, don't be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a great nation also. Because he is your offspring. And he goes on. He's, this is actually where the Islamic world comes from. The Islamic nation comes through, uh, through uh, um, Ishmael. There we go. <laughs> okay. And interesting. As I pointed out last week. Uh, it's not just Jews that circumcise their sons. Muslims also circumcise them. It's really amazing. A lot of people didn't realize that. But it's true. Because it all goes back to the same dad. Who circumcised them both. Anyway, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, who was the maidservant who had Ishmael. He sent them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. So they're off by themselves now. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes and she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. Truly heart-rendering. You can imagine. That's hopeless. Her son's going to die. I can't stand to watch this. So she leaves him under a bush and goes away and just sits down and just starts crying. But God heard the boy crying. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said, What's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boys he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife from him, for him from Egypt. Okay, and that's kind of the situation with Ishmael. Well, back here he says, Now at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, Look, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you are, uh, show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown you. And Abraham said, I swear, here's these couple of guys, they're, they're afraid of Abraham and want to make peace with him, so they, they make a, a treaty with him. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servant had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who's done this, you, you did not tell me, and I only heard about it today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave it to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He said, accept these seven, for my hand is a witness that I dug this well. 
So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. And after the treaty he, uh, he had made at Beersheba, Abimelech, if I call the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk temar- temar- tree in Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the God, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Okay, now, little side thing there. Here's, here's where it gets real interesting. This is the big story. In Genesis, uh, this is the, uh, a major, major event that happens. Now we see where Abraham is at in his faith. Having experienced God through all this time, God is now about to test him in one of the most strongest way any father could ever be tested. Sometime later, it says God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region, the region of Moriah. That's not the singer, a different one. But uh, um, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now check what God just said to him. Take this son, whom you love, go up in the mountain and sacrifice him to me. Oh, man. Now he already sent off the other son, he's gone. The only son he has who he loves and delights in. Now it doesn't say how old this happens. It's sometime later. Uh, a lot of uh, Bible scholars think that uh, he might have been a, is, is, you know, a young teenager by this time. They're not quite sure. But he clearly loves this boy. God says, I want you to take him up in the mountain and sacrifice him to me. Well, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He saw they were almost there, about halfway up the mountain. And he says to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then come back to you. Now, I want to tell you about a sermon I heard. Uh, as a young man that had a huge impact on my life. I heard an old preacher preach on this particular verse where Abraham is going up to sacrifice and go up to experience God. And then halfway up the mountain, he stops and he tells the servants and the donkey to stay behind. Now, you have to understand, he's preaching from the King James Bible. So, it says ass, okay? So, he leaves the ass halfway behind. And then this preacher starts to preach the sermon entitled, Don't let the devil make an ass out of you by only going halfway with God. And we're all sitting there going... And this guy went off saying over and over, don't let the devil make an ass out of you. And he just preached on how when you put your hand to the plow, you got to stay with it and keep serving God. Lots of people start, but they don't finish. It gets too hard. It gets too discouraging. They start getting pulled away in temptation and they only get part way. Don't let the devil make an ass out of you. By going halfway with God. And I remember sitting there going, holy cow. I don't want to be an ass, you know. I mean, but I've, 
I've never forgot the sermon. And it was funny because everyone in the church was freaking out that he was using that kind of language. But, uh, you know, it was the Bible. And uh, what a great sermon, though, that was. I've never forgot that. Don't go halfway, man. Go all the way with Jesus. It's he who finishes the race that gets the crown. All the runners don't get rewarded. It's only the ones who finish the race. The Bible talks about this in many different ways in the New Testament, certainly in this analogy, but pretty wild stuff. Anyway, so Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he carried, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, we do not know what Abraham was thinking at this point. Uh, My guess is he's just telling the boy something just to keep him quiet. Uh, Some say that Abraham knew by faith there was no way God was going to let this happen. Others believe Abraham believed that even if he did kill his son, God would raise him from the dead because God had promised him that through this son, the world would be blessed and was willing to sacrifice him, knowing that God would still make good on his word. Man, how do you get to this place? How do you get here? By trusting God. By experiencing God. See, by now he's starting to see some very cool things. God has blessed him. He's been with him. And finally, he's able to have this child, which he thought was impossible. And he's enjoyed this boy for how many years now? And he's in a complete place of faith by this point in his life. He completely trusts God and will do whatever he has to do so that he honors God so that God will bless him. So anyway, the two of them went together and when they reached the place where God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Again, interesting here because, again, as some Bible scholars say, if he was a little boy, um, it'd be pretty easy to bind him up. Maybe. My grandsons, I can't get him to sit still for five seconds. I don't know how he bound him up. But, but when you consider that, he probably was older by the, now to take this long trip. He might have been a young teenager now. I'm pretty sure a young teenager can take a hundred and some year old guy any day of the week. But talking about a, an obedient son. Talk about a son who respected his father. And when his father said, come here. And started to wrap him up. Wow. You'd have thought he could have fought. He could have run. Um, I certainly would have. And I suggest if anybody ever does that to you, run! You know. (laughs) But what a relationship they must have had. What a trust level that they must have had between the two of them that he could have the boy stand there as he binds him Anyway, he takes his son Isaac, he binds him, and he lays him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand 
took the knife to slay his son. I believe he had every intention of killing the boy. I believe he did. And God knew he did. He had clearly passed the test. And then the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied. He says, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Wow. Talk about the test of faith that this guy did. Now, let me share something with you. Just so you understand. At this point, there is really not any written commandments for anything. The Ten Commandments had not been written. The Word of God had not been revealed into the world yet at this point. Um, When God, from our viewpoint, if you were to hear an angel from heaven say, grab your son and go kill him, uh, you should never obey a voice like that. Why? Because it's contrary to the will of God. We know that in the scriptures. We understand the scriptures. Um, God does not contradict himself. Okay? But this was the kind of test that he could do with Abraham because Abraham had no idea what the rules were at this time. Again, from our standpoint, knowing God the way that we are, the way that we do, you would never give in to something like this. But he, he was being severely tested and had no reference of which to see whether or not God would ever really ask that of him. Truly, God did ask him from it, but had no intention of letting it happen because uh, he's God and he doesn't want people sacrificing their children. Which, by the way, um, the word of God always trumps the revealed word of God, the written word of God, the, what, what has been established is what God has said and laid out as how we live our lives trumps any kind of divine revelation you think you may or may not have received. I often run into people who uh, will tell me the Lord told them to do some asinine thing, you know. And, and I look at them and say, the Lord did not tell you that. Because God would not go against his own word. All right? You know. Uh, well, the Lord told me to leave my wife and have an affair with this woman. I didn't want to, but I just, God spoke to my heart and told me to do it. You are an idiot wrapped up in a moron. <laughs> well, God, God didn't tell you that. Your own delusions told you that. Or maybe the devil himself told you that. But you do not listen and obey. I don't care what kind of... I don't care if an angel appears to you in technicolor 3D high definition. And tells you to do something completely opposite against God's word. Go kill somebody, steal something, commit adultery, do something wrong. I don't care what happens to you. The answer is no. Because God does not contradict himself. He is not schizophrenic. Never has been. Never will be. We let the word of God establish. But again, in this situation, there was no revealed word of God. And, uh, and that's why he tested him in this way. Okay, so anyway, um, he said, don't hurt your son. Obviously, you love me enough that you wouldn't withhold your own son. And that says in verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram. Basically, his word became a prophecy. God would provide the lamb, he says. He sees a ram caught by its horns, and went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called 
the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, (coughs) all the nations on the earth will be blessed. Uh, uh, Speaking of the Messiah. And it's through his offspring where Jesus came. And all the nations of the world have been blessed. And it's going to all happen because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants. <coughs> Mercy, forgive me. And the donkey. Returns to them and sets off for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Alright, now a little thing right at the end here. Um, it says, now sometime later, Abraham was told Milcah is also a mother. Who is Milcah? Milcah is his uh, sister-in-law who married his brother Nahor, which you'll see here. Milcah is also a mother. She is born sons to your brother Nahor. These sons would be his nephews, right? Is that right? Yes. Uz is the firstborn. Uz is the firstborn. Buzz, his brother. Man, don't be calling your kids Uzz and Buzz. <laughs> hey, Buzz, you get on me right now! But apparently that was a hip thing back then. Uzz and Buzz, Kemuel, and blah, 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 all these names I can't pronounce anyway, and Beth- Bethuel. That's the key there. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore, also, uh, bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor, his concubine was named Ramoah, and I had a bunch of you know, some other kids there. Um, but the key of this is he's setting this up uh, to know that there are now cousins for Isaac. And why is that significant? Because he'll want Isaac to get married and find a wife. And again, at this time, it kept it pretty close in the fam, and uh, they would marry their cousins. Anyway, a <laughs> different time, different day. So now we go on, and now it says, Sarah lived to be 127 years old, and then she died at Kiriah Arba, which that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. Uh, and then, we're not going to read this verse by verse because it's, just too boring. But uh, what, what happens here is uh, he goes to the Hittites and says, you know, can, can I have a, uh, uh, a place to bury her? And they say, well, sure, here, have whatever you want. And he says, no, I won't take it. I'll, I'll pay for it. And uh, so he pays a, a very high price for it and stuff. He, Abraham just never wanted to be in a situation where he was beholding to anybody. He didn't want it ever to be said that I'm blessed, that he didn't want anybody to be able to say, yeah, Abraham's so blessed because I blessed him. Abraham's like, yeah, because I cut him a deal. Abraham's like, he, he just didn't want that. He said, man, if God, if I'm going to be blessed, I want everybody to know I'm blessed because God has blessed my life. Okay? So, anyway, the rest of that, you can read that if, if you like, uh, uh, just talking about that whole event where he goes and he buries um, 
uh, lovely, lovely Sarah. So chapter 24 now. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant of his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. No, I won't. But I mean, that's... <laughs> and I put my hand on it. It's fine. But why would they do that? Again, it's culture. He's about to make him make a promise. Here we would say, you know, raise your right hand or cross your heart and hope to die. Back then, and the culture was, if you make a vow, you would place your hand under a guy's thigh. <laughs> really creepy. Okay, so put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not, that you will get, <laughs> that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of, Can- of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. He wanted to keep it in the family. He didn't want him marrying one of the chicks from the area where they were living, Canaanites. So he had made him swear. You won't let my son marry one of these women. You'll go find a wife for, for my relatives. Well, the servant asked him, what if the woman's unwilling to come back? Assuming he even finds the woman, okay. What if she's unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? What what do I do? You want me to go find a relative? What if she doesn't come back? Do I I come back and get him and drag him back there? And uh, Abraham says, well, make sure that you do not take my son back there. He didn't want him going back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, who spoke to me, me, promising me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If, Abraham says, the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. If she won't, she won't come back, then you're free. Because they took their oath very seriously, okay? He made him swear. Not, uh, only do not take my son back there. Don't take him back there. He needs to stay here where God told us to stay. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore the oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram, whatever that word is, and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. And then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have sworn kindness to my Shown kindness to my master. Okay, we're going to end there. But this is where we get the picture of um, he's there and he's praying, God, send me the right girl. Send me the one. Now, there's a lot of people who use this to think that there is a soulmate out there for everybody and that you just need to pray, if you're single, that God will send you the one. Okay? Next Wednesday, I will debunk this myth okay 
So, but we'll pick it up from there and we'll find out in fact what he meant when he said the one. All right, cool. Let's have our ushers come at this time and we will close the service with our evening offering. Musicians can come back up. And uh, we appreciate you being faithful to uh, continue to support the work of God here. Uh, A lot of guys, uh, a lot of people can't come on Sunday because of work or different situations, your schedules and whatever. So I know you just come on Wednesday night, so we'll give you an opportunity to give then. Uh, Also, uh, there's also people who come on Wednesday night instead of Sunday. They don't actually want to come Sunday. They like the longer teaching and stuff like that. Uh, Hopefully, I I wish you'd come to both and get it all, but but that's cool too. So let's give a chance for uh, people to give to the kingdom. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your blessings. Thank you for blessing our lives. Thank you, Lord, for giving us uh, the incomes that you've given us, giving us ways that we can support ourselves and to support our families. And Lord, as a sign of thankfulness and gratefulness back to you, we give back a portion of that which you have blessed us with. Use this money to advance your kingdom and bless your people who give with joyful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.